This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are absolutely getting fantastic at investing. <laughs> I love it. Getting fantastic. Yeah. And and investing, of course, being defined as investing, not gambling, speculation, hoping something goes up, having no clue what your own. That's all just speculation. And that means pretty much everything all you guys are doing is speculative gambling. You're in Las <laughs> Vegas. You think you've got your retirement account under control and you're in Las Vegas and you don't even know it. So investing, duh, is just buying something for less than it's worth, knowing it's going to be better down the road, a better, bigger, stronger, worth more. Down the Agree. road. Agree. Agree. This is it's investing. like cheering on our favorite football team, except only in the way where when you totally understand what the football team's going to do, then you would cheer them on and not out of pure childhood love. Right? Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was from our other, remember our quick questions episode when Paul asked us about speculation yep. versus investing? I'll tell you, man, this is the whole game right here is to figure out um, that you're investing only when you know what you're buying, you know what it's worth, you're buying it for a lot less, and you know it's going to be worth more in the future. That's so simple. It's so simple, and it's something very few people do. And I can tell you for sure, it's not what your fund manager does. It isn't what your fund manager does. It isn't at all. And, you know, well, someday we're going to have to talk about what those guys do do, which will scare you when you hear it. So anyway, right now, that's not what we're going to talk about, though, <laughs> are we? We're still with Mr. Buffett and we're Mr. Buffett's birthday Mr. celebration. Buffett. It was mm. Mr. Buffett's birthday recently, about a week and a half ago, on August 30th. And last episode, we just wanted to celebrate him and really thank him through the vibes of the universe uh, for being such a wonderful, not only investing leader, but human leader and somebody who uh, really is maybe maybe the first person, I don't know. I'd be curious what you think about that, Dad. Maybe the first person to connect being an investor with being a moral, ethical, well-rounded person. And the way that he did that is by talking about both of those things just as though it's obvious. And I think for him it is. I can't think of anybody else who really did that before him. I I don't think Ben Graham did that. No. Um, and Ben was, you know, Buffett's mentor. Um, and that, you know, that puts Buffett squarely at the beginning of that way of thinking back in the 1950s when he would start to write about what he was doing. Hmm. Um, but I think he's evolved a tad since oh, the early hugely. 50s. And he attributes a lot of that to his wife, his, his, his late wife, Susie, who was 
a very strong activist for a lot of causes. And he always says, you know, she's the one who showed me that there's more to life than just companies and numbers and stocks. Right. I think she was a, a, an incredible moral um, sort of advisor to Warren um, because she was she was living it. I mean, she really did take uh, a deep interest in um, in people who were struggling and people mm-hmm. who were off on the edge of, of society and worked really hard to, uh, to take advantage of her position and the wealth that they had there to make a difference. And I think she's an incredible woman. I think Buffett really gives her an enormous amount of credit in his transformation Absolutely. as a human being, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. Um, so we were going to read something to us, I believe. Yeah, well, I was going to do it last time, and then we ended up talking all about our family and... I cried and it was kind of, as usual, it not where we intended sweet, to go, honey. but it was very sweet. It was um, very sweet. But what I wanted to read was something actually that Charlie Munger wrote about Buffett. And I think that this is a huge connection that the two of them have is that they both really speak and think in the same kinds of ways about investing, that it's it's about human choices and it's about the choices of the management of the companies that they invest in. And so they think a lot about ethics and how one gets through difficult times and how one should live life. And Charlie Munger is famous for being a huge Benjamin Franklin uh, fan, I would say. <laughs> um, obsessive, acolyte, maybe is another word. Disciple, <laughs> disciple, acolyte. Disciple, but, that's a good yeah. one. Uh, to the point where somebody, I've got the book in front of me, Peter Kaufman put together this book called Poor Charlie's Almanac, which is this enormous book. I'm holding it up so my dad can see it. Enormous, oh, yeah. heavy, five-pound tome of a book. And it's so worth buying and having on your shelf. I highly, I highly recommend it. It's called Poor totally Charlie's agree. Almanac. What did you say? I totally agree. Yeah. It's one of my favorite bathroom books. Yeah, it's a great bathroom book because it's not a book from start to finish. It's just filled with little uh, one-page to like six-page nuggets of wisdom and genius and thoughts and uh, stories about their families and Uh, Just all sorts of things. And it's just a really cool book to grab every now and then. And just you open it up and you kind of like get something out of whatever page you end up on. So when we had decided to talk about Buffett for his birthday, I thought, I'll just open up Poor Charlie's Almanac and see what I find. (laughs) And I found something. So first I went to the index and looked up Buffett in the index and pretty much every page was referenced to Buffett. So <laughs> that didn't help me at all. But then I found this, um, this section, which if you have the book and what I have is the third edition, right? Yeah, the expanded third edition. This is on page 35, it starts. So this is, I think, a speech that Munger gave and he's talking about Cicero in this speech. Munger is... I think, I think just listening to this start to unfold... Tell me. ...that we are in the process of crossing over into a religion. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like... And then I opened the book those to of page you who are 35. following along, <laughs> turn, turn to the book of Munger. That is what it is. Page 30. It's the book of Munger, you're right. Verse 12. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I was oh, about to no. say it's the second to last paragraph on the page. 
Oh, no. So we, in the we, book of we crossed manga, an invisible line here somewhere along. We the reference way. Cicero. Okay, go. <laughs> because Munger's religion, I think, is Stoicism. And both of them really love to read the Stoics. And so he talks in this speech about Cicero. So I'm just going to pick up right in the middle here because this is the appropriate part, which is about aging and how to age gracefully. Mm-hmm. So I thought met our Buffett birthday theme here. All right. Now this is quote, Charlie Munger. But so, okay, sorry, not quote. (laughs) (laughs) Context. He's talking about how uh, Cicero argues that having a lot of money essentially really helps you live a better life in the world. You're going to probably live longer. You're going to live more easily. You're probably going to do better. And then he wants to then make the argument that... I want to say, first off, that's a major insight. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Right. So, well, without reading the entire, you know, seven-page speech of our book of Munger, let me, mm-hmm. like, just say that part. Take so a piece, yeah. Um, so here's where he begins. So, but Cis- okay, quote Charlie Munger. But Cicero does not go so far as to concede that wealth will protect the weak and improvident from misery. According to Cicero, the wealthy are sure to suffer if they're lacking in moral and providential skill. The most celebrated passage in Disenectuta is probably the following grand summary. Now, this is what? Sorry? In what? De Senectuta, which is De, Cicero's work. De Senectutra. De Senectuta. It's Latin, uh, I think. Uh, so mm. D-E, the first bit, and then the That's second sure word not is... American. Sorry? It's not American. No, it's not American. You're going to have to deal uh, with it. Other people, uh, more than 200 years ago, wrote things. <laughs> S-E-N-E-C-T-U-T-E. De Senectuta. So the most celebrated passage, according to Munger, is this, and I quote now from De Senectute. The best armor of old age is a well-spent life preceding it. A life employed in the pursuit of useful knowledge, in honorable actions, and the practice of virtue, in which he who labors to improve himself from his youth will, in age, reap the happiest fruits of them, not only because these never leave a man, not even in the extremest old age, but because a conscience-bearing witness that our life was well spent, together with the remembrance of past good actions, yields an unspeakable comfort to the soul. End quote. And now back to Munger. Uh, Do all these prescriptions of Cicero, if followed pretty well, totally, oh sorry, really improve life? Well, by a strange coincidence, Ben Franklin, the man who first published them in America, followed the prescriptions as well as he could, and he lived a very long life, eminent to the end, and left behind a full record of old age that was among the most constructive and happy ever lived. And this happened despite many disadvantages that he suffered, medical and otherwise. As usual, Ben Franklin improved what he found, not satisfied with mere cheerful acceptance of an aged state. Franklin relished the role of an old man and played it joyously to a fare thee well, while also laboring to help create what he could not possibly live to enjoy. Thus, these ideas of Cicero worked well for Franklin, and no doubt they will still work well for quite a few others. 
So there's a special reason, apart from Cicero's contributions to political science, in keeping so many statues of Cicero in our public places. In this way, Cicero is still being helpful more than 2,000 years after Mark Antony tried to rid the world of his influence. Moreover, Warren Buffett, as a sort of modern baton carrier for a Ciceronian point of view, is now doing a good job in imitating Cicero and Franklin in old age. Not only does Buffett, much like Cato, stay in the arena with no plan to ever leave, he does so joyously and while providing good results for those who will trust him patiently. And from a pulpit built high by worldly success, he also imitates Cicero, Cato, and Franklin by by communicating much that tells others what they should think and how they should behave. And his words are often made more acceptable through the use of insightful humor. End quote from Charlie Munger. That is fantastic. I thought that was so beautiful, the way he talks about how Franklin did such a, uh, lived his old age and played it joyously to a fare thee well, and that Buffett does the same. He's in the arena with no plan to ever leave and does so joyously, and while providing good results for those who will trust him patiently. I mean, clearly he has such a reverence for Buffett beyond just friendship. I think they are true compadres who respect each other and love each other. And um, it's just wonderful to see them get to still be around each other in these uh, twilight years. You know, it, 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 remind, it reminds me that we can probably find common ground with our political enemies much, much better than we actually do because Warren is a full-blast Democrat, you know, big Hillary fan, and Munger, although I I seriously doubt that he's a Trump fan, given the quote we just saw, the the fact is he's a a dyed-in-the-wool Republican. And, And so these guys have very different political views and yet have never had an argument, mm-hmm. have, you know, love each other totally. And um, I, I and what it kind of might mean is that the maybe it's just less important than we sometimes put on it. You know, what? less political important. The, po- the, po- po- the political sphere oh, God. is less important. I just don't than, really pay a lot of attention. <laughs> so I guess I agree. Uh, you know, it's not that important. <laughs> It's it's an intense time right now. I mean, it's you know, there's a lot of polarization going on in America, and it's like people are picking sides, and uh, in 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 many many ways. And it's kind of good to keep in mind that, um, as different as maybe Republicans and Democrats see the world right now, we're still seeing the world kind of from the same fundamental point of view. And we can be friends and we can we can work out, you know, the goals of each side if we can just, you know, figure out a way to mm-hmm. talk to each other about it. And mm-hmm. Warren and Charlie mm-hmm. have obviously figured out a way to talk to each other about it or they don't talk about it at all. I don't know which. Maybe the latter. <laughs> but both of these guys have lived Cicero's prescription for a great old age. Um, I mean, they they truly have. They they Both of them live lives of... of just full integrity, which means that you really get what you think you get when, you, when you're talking to these guys. And this doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they have been great fathers. Um, it, mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't necessarily even mean that they're, they're great 
they're great guys to hang out with. I mean, I really don't know. Never had the opportunity to hang out with either one of them. But just from anecdotal stories, I think Charlie can be kind of tough. Yeah. There's even, uh, just to go back to the book of Munger, <laughs> there's even um, uh, an interview, I think it is, somewhere in here in the book that uh, they interviewed, I think, Susie Buffett, and they asked her what they thought of somebody who would be married to Charlie Munger. And she said, well, and this is not a direct quote, but she roughly said, like, well, that would have to be one tough cookie. <laughs> Like somebody who can put up with a lot of pain and loneliness, essentially, (laughs) which is kind of a rough thing to say about somebody. But I think, you know, those two guys, they just are prodigies in one area and a little less uh, on top of it in other areas. And that can also be kind of a good lesson or comment or acknowledgement of reality for the rest of us that just because you know like you can be the greatest investor in the world and still not be good at everything and I can be the greatest daughter in the world there you go dad and still not be good at at everything and we can all just have our have our foibles just like anybody else yeah I mean it's true and the main thing I think about integrity is that you're not these, I mean, at least if you look at it, Warren and Charlie, they, they don't hide anything from anybody. They are who they are. That's mm-hmm. it, straight up. And you don't have to be the greatest at everything, um, but you have to be who you are and be it consistently. And, and that doesn't excuse being a liar and a thief and, you know, being a bad person and that's who you are. Um, you know, integrity is f- full of the characteristics of honor and and concern for your fellow person and you know, the the whole spectrum of really great values falls sort of, in my view, under the under the yeah. under the idea of integrity. Um, but the most important integrity, thing of integrity honesty. is that it's. I think they both they both are incredibly honest to a fault. Yeah. So the most important thing about integrity to in me is that you, you, you're you're the same person mm. uh, for for everybody, and I think that's true. I think that's what these guys are. And um, man, I, I I just so admire the fact that they're. They're willing to come out and share all of the things that they've learned in the world. And that, you know, Buffett has repeatedly said that he hopes that his legacy is that he's a great teacher. And I think that that's yeah. just so you know, interesting. I thought right? about even reading part of your, was it your forward or your afterward to our book where you wrote about that, which I thought was so beautifully said. Well, thank you. Thank you. Was it the forward or the afterward? <laughs> I hope you weren't going to pin me down. I have to go look. I, think it was I honestly don't the remember. <laughs> but it's a super important point. And you know, as I get older, I'm just you think, well, okay, what, why? Why does he think? Why does Buffett think? You know, a legacy as a teacher is is a, is the great legacy to have. And yeah, you know, I get older, and you start to see that so much of what happens in your life, in terms of where you where you end up. Where was it? Uh, I found it. It's the afterwards. Oh, the afterwards. Very good. Shall I quote from you now? After we've done the book of Munger, shall we do the book of Phil? <laughs> well, okay. Fire okay. away. If you're looking at the book of Phil, also known as Invested, <laughs> uh, well, what page is this? If you're looking at the paperback version, oh, which is what I have on my desk right now, Just it's page 307. 
Go to the afterword. It's page 307 of the paperback. You know, it's weird that I'm going to read this when it's your words. Oh, but, well, you've got the book right there in front of you, so go yeah, to it. It's, it's very weird, though, to read it to the person who wrote it. I, I, you, I was watching the live stream of Warren Buffett's annual meeting in Omaha during the time Danielle and I were working on this book. He and Charlie Munger were taking questions from the audience, and one question was what they'd like their legacy to be. Buffett answered he'd like to be thought of as a good teacher. Warren Buffett is, of course, one of the wealthiest men in the world, a self-made man who started his investing career with $100, and a man who has given away more money to charity than anyone in the world. And yet here he was telling us that none of that success matters to him as much as teaching us how to properly invest and be better people. I think he chose his legacy well. In my view, he and Charlie are among the most influential teachers in the last hundred years, and if judged by the financial impact of their teaching, perhaps the most important teachers of the modern era. Their long-term... Okay, well, now we're getting into Yimmy. <laughs> okay, okay, that's good. Because oh, here's, the point I, here's the point I wanted to make, is that okay. as, as I'm getting older, and you, know, you just start to think about what you know, what, what really matters in a person's life, what really counts, right? And, mm. you know, obviously relationships are just gigantic. It's like, you know, you, you, you think about all the ways you make decisions and then you look back and you think, I sh I, all the decisions I made right were in terms of having great relationships. And the ones I made wrong were in terms of breaking them. And so that's just, I think, you know, one of the most important things to think about is that. And then you, you sort of think, okay, well, what else is really important? And, and you, and I start to see where Warren's coming from, you know, I mean, obviously I think generational wealth is extremely important. I mean, the fact that you are, you have the advantages you have is because I was successful at Definitely. making money as an investor. And yeah. if you continue on the path that you're going down, um, you know, you'll be able to kind of bless the next generation with that knowledge on how to continue to develop wealth. And I, I think that you, know, you start to realize, wow, man, uh, you think of all the things that are important out there. At the end of the day, you know, money's like health. It's not the reason you're on the planet, you know, to get healthy or to get wealthy. But if you don't have one of those two things, right? If you don't have them, if you don't have your health, man, that's all. That just absorbs you. It's it's every, you can't yeah. go about doing what you're here to do if what you're trying to do is just be alive and be healthy. And the same, yeah. I think, man, money is the same thing. It's just it's a tool that's so fundamentally important to you. But I mean, all of you guys out there. Um, executing on kind of the plan that was put together when you got here. And I really think that there is that quality in life. I think there's a dharmic flow that goes through your lives. And I think that if, if you can live that, you're going to live a great life, whatever that is, whatever it's dharmic for you, you're going to live a great life. And money really helps you figure that out. There's just no doubt about it. It creates a cushion from which you have the space to even notice what's going on with you because when you're scrambling so much just to survive again same as health right just to survive just to pay the rent just to be able to put food on the table like really at that like basic level 
you can't think about anything else. There's no space nope. for anything else. Nope. And fear, I mean, fear happens when, when you don't have money and oh. you've got these responsibilities and yeah. and your position in, in your in society and all of those things are at enormous risk. And I mean, you can see what happens to people who live their life on some other some other um, value set, like this Epstein guy who, you know, he oh. had a set of values that he lived his life through. And when he lost his, his what, access, his money, his status, his, he started to lose his freedom. I mean, he just killed himself. You know, his life was over. He was like, okay, this is useless. I mean, think about the legacy. Think about the legacy that guy leaves behind compared to somebody like Buffett. And this guy had a lot of money. It, I mean, it was, I guess I'm almost contradicting myself. I'm saying money is super important. And here I am talking about a guy who had plenty of it and was unable to execute yeah. a good life. I mean, there's a lot of, there's some theories too that his money was a complete sham and a total made off situation. So I think that I, I, might have come out and I'm not sure he could, killed himself Who could either. doubt the potential so, there for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, without getting too much into it, I've read a few things about that. And I think it's very possible. But point being, money by itself is almost a negative um, because it can also inhibit you or prohibit you from following who you are. It can send you off on tangents. I've seen friends of mine who had big trust funds have mm -hmm. a terrible time figuring out who they are, mm. what they should be doing in this world, and become self-absorbed. It's like there's too much space. Right. There's no, there are no boundaries. There's, so you could do anything. And what do you do when you could do anything? Right. It's like yeah. nature like, doesn't have an opportunity to push you against a wall and cause you pain that forces you into that next step of your life. And um, so maybe those of us who have had that experience in our life, and I certainly have, and I know you have, um, mm -hmm. and probably most people have, been pushed and forced and, you know, really pressed hard and feel the fear of where, where do I go next and what's next for how do I handle my life? Uh, man, alive, those things can be really important to getting you on to the next place like, mm -hmm. that you wouldn't have gone otherwise. Just absolutely mm -hmm. wouldn't have gone otherwise. There's no, no way do I end up in this life that I'm in now without having gone through those really rough periods? No way. True. True. Yeah. I've been going through some ups and downs lately. And one thing I've really discovered in this period is that being grateful, like the thing that actually you and I talked about when we first started investing practice, you taught me this, being grateful for for real stuff, not being fake grateful, like not coming up with fake stuff, not trying to force my emotions, none of that, but really finding something in the situation that is actually something I can appreciate has created some distance, some like perspective for me that I've never had in like a tough situation before. And that's been really amazing. And I'm, I'm so appreciative for it. I'm so consciously grateful for that. Um, and, and I've seen the benefit to my, I don't know, my emotions, my like steadiness. It's been really cool. So I would add that to the list of things to do when you're in that tough space. Yeah, and that one, that one doesn't come as much from Buffett. That's, that's to me, no. that's, 
you know, that's out there in a lot of different places. Um, uh, you know, and particularly with Wahe Takeda, who just made it a practice um, that we've talked about before. But with Warren, integrity, the concept yeah. that you should live your life in such a way that everything you're doing can be on the front page of the paper. And remember mm -hmm. that it can take a decade to create a great uh, brand, a great character, right? Um, and it can take 10 minutes to destroy it is something that I think we should all keep it upper uppermost in our minds as we're as we're making decisions every day about what we're going to do and what we're going to be. So we want to thank So are you thinking of that stuff as you go into I know you're 29 forever, <laughs> but as you go into the Benjamin Franklin living the uh what did he say living the role the elder, of the elder, the elder statesman. <laughs> I don't know about statesman, but the elder is certainly coming at me. <laughs> No I would doubt. say you have the role of the elder statesman at this point. Oh, for a few of us, maybe. But um, I'm certainly just following the, the footsteps of people who really, really made a difference. And, you know, that's that's right in the footsteps. If I can, if I can, you know. I remember when I was about six years old, um, your grandfather was rototilling a, a garden um, next to our house. Like tilling the dirt. Mm -hmm. And okay. it churns it up really, really fine and fluffy, right? Mm -hmm. And there's this dark Oregon loam that was getting cranked up. And and he was following the rototiller and he was stepping, right? And he was wearing shoes. And the size of those footprints was <laughs> enormous. I would try to put my feet following him in this big, huge step that I had to take. It's just such an Aww. image of following, you know, the the elder that that has is walking this path and um these foot these footprints That's so that, sweet <laughs> these footprints that Buffett and Munger are putting down are just enormous gigantic footprints. Enormous. Enormous. <laughs> I want to say huge, but it's a little too Trumpian. So <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. So this is this is the this is the legacy that Warren and Charlie are leaving and I don't know how much longer we have with them, you know, honestly, I, we, we never know. No, hopefully we have, hopefully we have 10 more years. I that hope would we be do. fantastic. God, I really hope we do. The world, the world needs those guys in it and it's going to be a yeah. big, big loss when they're not, um, just because they keep teaching us every year by their actions and by not, not just their actions as human beings, but their actions as investors, mm -hmm. how deeply they take these, these secrets of great investing I mean, Charlie's got to be a guy, and Warren's probably right there with him. I mean, you're 95 years old. I mean, you don't buy green bananas, you know? I mean, what the what's the <laughs> point? And yet he's sitting in cash, this huge hoard of cash, ready for the markets to offer him up some great companies on sale. I just think that's just so phenomenal that you're, uh, you're looking forward and forward and forward. Uh, to the moment where you can really invest with, uh, with with the best strategy in the world. And that's hopefully what we're helping teach you guys. And then we're just passing it along what we've learned from, from Warren and Charlie. But our advantage over them is that we aren't geniuses. We, we didn't just come to this, you know, through Columbia Business School and the greatest investors in the world as your mentor. You know, we sort of just had to figure it out from our place as uh you know a, a lawyer trying to have a what life are you talking and, about um, we came to the I, I had a mentor you're my mentor no that's true you had a mentor 
I and I had a mentor. So okay, yeah. fair enough. We've had mentors. Um and I so okay, I'd take it I I walk it all back. We didn't have to figure this out on our own. I don't think people get this stuff all the way on their own. I yeah, think I everybody think probably right. has a teacher. Now that I now that I think about it, you're absolutely right. It's it doesn't just I think you just feel like you've come up with it on your own somehow. Yeah. But that's because you've taken all these disparate elements from different books and different teachings and different people and you've put it together into your methodology. Well, what I was going to lead up to okay. was that effectively we're able to teach this perhaps in ways that they can't or haven't taught it because we're more just sort of common people than those guys are. Does that make sense? I mean, um, look at, I have guys come up to me. I had a guy come up to me who's in his mid forties, construction worker, blue collar guy, tattooed, burly, and say to me, I am Danielle Town. <laughs> I don't think he's going to say I am Warren Buffett. I don't think no. so. I think that people are relating to you. Uh, in Sadly, ways that... I'm not the investing genius that is Warren Buffett. <laughs> but you're the person that can translate that. It's there's an old saying among gurus that you know you stand on the top of the mountain. You're this guru, and you're on top of the mountain. You see the world from the top of the mountain. And if what you describe to the people who are at the bottom of the mountain is the world that you're seeing from the top of the mountain, they're not going to know what you're talking about. It doesn't look like, oh, well, they can aspire to that. They can dream that it might look that way. But from where they're standing, that's the us, the little guys in the world, where we're yeah. standing, it doesn't look like the top of the mountain at all. And what we need is someone to describe to us. We need a guide who can describe how to take the steps from where we are, not, not from where some guru is. And so I think that's a lot of why, you know, Warren sort of urges people to just go invest in an index or something because he hasn't really taken the time to describe what it's like to, to go from the bottom of the mountain. He, I think that's okay. Oh, so do like, I. Yeah, okay. I think it's totally good. I'm not criticizing him. I'm, I'm glad he left us a place to, where we can contribute. And I think we can contribute right there because we've both been right there you know, and we're climbing that mountain and you in particular, right? I mean, I'm, I'm up the mountain a bit. Um, I can see that, that view better from, from where I'm standing and you have done such a great job of translating it from being deep in the dark woods. Yes. <laughs> deep where in the dark you woods. Were, That's true. Where you were yeah, a couple I years do, ago. I do feel like now I'm pretty much, I'm like, I, I, I identify more with the up the mountain part of that for sure. And I notice that I forget things. Like I forget what it used to feel like. Yeah. And so yeah. I actually consciously remind myself that like, oh, this used to be really scary and now I don't even notice it. Like that's a good exercise to go through. It's confidence building. So let's uh, next time. What should we talk about next time, dad? Whatever we want. Oh, whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a couple ideas um, that I want to get out. I don't know if we'll get through them next time because we've got a lot of things out there on our plate. Then we'll leave it mysterious. All right. Cool. Okay. Until the mysterious next time. Thanks, everybody. Time to Bye. go play. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. 
there's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.